This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Tammy here. Well, we have a best of today. It's Samantha Ronson. It's Jill Gutowitz. It's, wait, who's the other one? Oh, Melissa King, Chef Melissa King. Um, I love all these people. I loved all these conversations. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we will be back with new episodes very soon. In the meantime, if you love the show, you can support it by going to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and pledging a little bit of moolah to get us all through. You went to college and then what, was there a period of time before you went to culinary school after that? Or was it you completed the degree and then you said, okay, now one for me. Like, it's like, which way did it go? It was kind of the latter. <laughs> um, yeah, I went straight to culinary. I was like, right after I graduated, I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> so I applied for culinary school and just moved to New York. And I actually kind of like lived this whole double life over there because that was where I came out. I remember coming out on the East Coast, being closeted on the West Coast because I, I grew up in L.A. And um, yeah, kind of living that life for two years. And I remember the East Coast experience. It was a time for me to start over and like do what I love and be 100% me. And of course, I like met my first girlfriend there too. So <laughs> that kind of helped the coming out journey. What was your what was your East Coast out life like? It was still quiet in a way compared to <laughs> these days, but you know, I, I was at least I remember the day I stepped foot in my culinary school and I met my first roommate. I just told her I was like I'm I think I started with bi because I like that was like the safe term for me at the time, even though I'm like, let's be real. I'm like very gay, <laughs> very queer. Um, so I kind of introduced myself to people, um, you know, and tried to be really as open as I could to any new friends that I met. But I didn't really like meet anyone until like a year into school. Yeah. And you met, did you meet a fellow student? Were you going? It, it, were you going out? What was? What was going oh, on? Oh yeah. Life? Oh, I see you. You want to get? You want to get? I want to hear okay. about what was your? What was that life like? <laughs> this is all going to be in the book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't give us too many details. Um. Yeah, I was going out. I remember I was just kind of diving into like chef culture and meeting people that were like that were interested in the same things. Um, and recognizing that I wasn't this like weirdo that was obsessed with food or I wasn't the only one. <laughs> and so, yeah, we went out a lot. I mean, chefs, they like to drink, not gonna lie. Right. There, was, there was a lot culture. of that culture. Yeah. Okay. It was I know what you're talking rough. about. <laughs> yeah. I don't drink anymore, really. It's, it's very minimal these days, but, um, I did at one point in time 
fall a bit deep into the chef culture. And it wasn't my proudest moment of my life, but it was an experience. I, hey, I know what you're talking I actually kind of know what you're talking I relate to what you're talking about. You know, there was yeah. a time when I was a, yeah, I mean, I was a stand up comic in my 20s at one point. And oh, I don't think it's such a different thing because, you know, when you, when your job is the thing that other people go to, you, you know, like I wasn't blowing off steam at the thing because you're, mm-hmm. you are the thing. So everybody else is blowing off steam. And then there's like the, bar that everybody goes to after the place where they all performed and then there's like in chicago which is where i was like really cutting my teeth because i started in boston but then when i was really cutting my teeth i was in chicago there are there are bars that close at two and then there are bars that close at four and then there are bars that close at five (laughs) i don't know why this is true like why would that be true and they serve alcohol the whole time uh yeah i mean you know with different last calls or whatever but it's like you could go to the 2 a.m bar and be like oh Actually, do you want to go to the 4 a.m. bar and then be like, oh, you want to go to the 5 a.m. bar? And then you could end up at like the um, t- t- going going out to get like Mexican. You know, there'd be like there's like two types of restaurants that would be open that late. And it would be like a, probably like a taqueria or it would be a, like Greasy Spoon Diner. And yep. then you're eating like a full burrito. <laughs> at, like That's the San at, like, Francisco four o'clock too. in the morning, which is actually also like just a terrible thing to do to your body it's a real punishment we did so much of that though (laughs) yeah yeah it doesn't feel good you wake up feeling good it doesn't there was i used to when i used to (laughs) at this time period of my life i used to ride my bike everywhere that was like my main mode of transportation and i would i would wear a backpack that would have like my joke notebook in it and then i don't even know probably like a shirt because I was like sweating through all of my clothes because I was riding my bike everywhere. And, but it also had uh, water bottle holders on the side. It was like a, you know, classic early aughts backpack with a water bottle holder. And I would keep in there uh, bottles of Pepto Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> and like Advil. <laughs> that were just in the water bottle. And then I would drink it from the um, oh. bottle. Like I, th- I just took the, when I would get it, just take the little measuring cup, throw that right in the trash because you're not going to have that ever. And anyway, that is how you can destroy your body is one way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel you on that lifestyle at, in my early 20s. It was like that, you know, a lot of going to the restaurant, working till one in the morning, going to the bar till two, doing the after hours somehow ending up at a donut shop or a taqueria, <laughs> yeah, whatever was open and just late night eating. And so it, it was pretty taxing on my body and my mental state. That, yeah. yeah. It felt cool though. I'll say that much. So cool. I felt cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was also still, I had just moved to San Francisco and I was like just diving into like the culture here, the gay culture here and the scene and and yes, yeah, so I was just, I was going out way too much. But I felt cool too. <laughs> I thought there was going to be more, but that was all. There was that all. was all. <laughs> you know, I I'm curious about this. So you grew up in LA, like mm-hmm. LA proper, um, San Gabriel Valley, uh, oh, east that is east of LA, extremely close to where I currently live. Oh, we got to hang out. My mom yeah, still lives down we there. We do also <laughs> heavily heavily Chinese, heavily. Um, which that I part don't... of town. But actually, yes. okay, if you want to go be ahead. really real, I grew up in Hacienda Heights. 
like that was mainly the more of the like younger years of my life. I don't know. I don't know Hacienda Heights. What's the vibe? Hacienda's like um, nowadays. It's also more Chinese populated or yeah. like Asian populated. I think when growing up, it was a bit of a mix, uh, very suburban. Um, and then I went to school at Whitt- in Whittier for Whittier Christian. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm, I actually, yeah, I live in, I live not too, not too far from the, I live sort of looking at the San Gabriel Valley. And um, it's, it's very interesting for me be, to, because where I grew up, which was like, you know, I grew up in a suburban area that was very white. And so for me, like the distance from the city, I think I had a real association with like, if you're this many miles from the city, like it will be this percentage white. And um, Mm -hmm. it has been really interesting to me to just have that like completely disproved and to see other ways that that our country is set up that's very different from how I grew up. Um, Well, particularly LA. LA is so like densely pocketed in each neighborhood. So if you want like the best Korean food, you go to K-Town and you know, you want good Mexican, you go to East LA and it's, it, there's good and bad to it. Yeah, there is good and bad to it. I mean, I, I will say that for, but it's my, I mean, my wife is half Japanese and we are not, we are one of many um, interracial couples in this neighborhood that we live in. And then also there are a lot of Chinese couples and there are a lot of just many different types of people age diversity there are some queer people mm-hmm. there are like some straight people and it and it just is like i don't live in the epicenter of la and i just didn't know that i could have that experience and not be in the epicenter because i just thought like mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. so much going on for us as a couple that i just didn't want to move us into a place where we would feel like totally isolated even just like visually you know like it's just like when mm-hmm. when you're the only people that look anything like you and then you know, is that even safe? And, you know, a zillion, a zillion questions, but it's been really cool to, to be here and, and just realize that like, um, there are options. There are a lot of things in the, the U S that I didn't grow up seeing, um, and lots of different places I can feel comfortable. Yeah. It's why I love San Francisco. And I well, mean, I love LA. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's actually, why I love San Francisco. Well, this is actually here. This is actually something that I was going to ask. And I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but so like, mm-hmm. so that's why I was asking where you were from in LA. Mm-hmm. Cause I know LA pretty well. Then New York, I don't totally know the food scene there. Um, cause I've never lived there, but I've been there so many times that I like, I feel like my impression of the food scene there is that it is still very like white people food focused. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I'm imagining going to San Francisco and I'm just wondering, like, it's just because I've spent so many times and so much time in these different cities. Um, San Francisco think- has a high, super high Asian population. Like what is the, have you noticed a difference in these different cities for what kinds of cuisine like is lifted up? What's available? Yeah. Or you felt comfortable? I think, I mean, this is a great question and a, a good topic because New York, I think, is like you. Okay, yeah, maybe on the higher the higher end restaurants can be a bit more catered to being, a, you know, very white, 
quote unquote white. Yeah, I think that's uh, what I'm talking about. And, the like and, cuisine stuff that would be written about stuff, not like what's actually happening for people, but like what's lifted up and elevated. Yeah. But I do I do think right now, or at least the time we're in, there's been a lot of just really awesome ethnic restaurants popping up in in New York or have been there and are getting uplifted through the media. Um, Actually, Los Angeles being such a diverse city as well, I feel, you know, people are going out to San Gabriel, to the SGV to go eat. When when I was young, nobody even knew where that was. Everyone was like, where's San Gabriel? What's what's the SGV? And so I, I love that. I think it's beautiful to see that crossover and um, people just being willing to adventure out to a new neighborhood. Um, and then San Francisco, you know, we it's always been a, a quite diverse city as well. Um, I think like Oakland has a lot of great food, a lot of great ethnic food is, is, is in that sp- specifically on the East Bay versus Bay Area proper. Um, cause a lot, I mean, honestly, a lot of the restaurants here are Italian pizzerias <laughs> or, mm. uh, Californian cuisine, which right. is a bit more of a hybrid of everything. Um, but I, I mean, again, I think, but these are the major cities that do, that are so food centric that are able to like bridge to other cities, like Hey, look at what's going on. Like, look at what we're doing. They can kind of be the pioneers to it. So, um, yeah, I think everybody looks to New York and nowadays even LA for, for food, for what's trending. I have seen, I've also seen what you're talking about specifically with the San Gabriel Valley in the last few years. Cause I'm like, I very, I don't know. I'm just very like, <laughs> I look at a lot of stuff. I'm very ear to the ground. And one thing I always read is like, the LA Times um, 101 best restaurants. I'm just very curious mm-hmm. what makes it on there. And there are multiple places to go to get dim sum or whatever that are mm-hmm. in that list. Or or I've, I've just seen the change in including this area of town. I don't know if it's like also been interesting because I live closer to here and I'm like understanding a little bit about why that is um, significant. But I'm I know you said that you thought it was beautiful, but does it does it ever make you frustrated or angry having grown up? And, um, and I mean, now like... I can't now I can't eat at some of my favorite restaurants because they're <laughs> packed with people. <laughs> like, come on! I just want dim sum today with my mom, and there's like I have to wait two hours now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that frustrates sure. me. That that is frustrating. Um, yes. <laughs> But no, I think it's great that it's being uplifted. And again, that I think like I I feel seen, you know, I feel seen when I open up the L.A. Times and I see like a dim sum spot that I literally would eat at with my grandma like every weekend being talked about and being supported um, and and gratefully having business, especially during what's happening now (laughs) with the pandemic and all that. But um yeah, if anything, I just I see it as a positive all around that people are getting to know our food and yeah. we can share that because food food brings people together. You know, you don't have to speak the same language at all and you can just serve someone something and it's like the most beautiful, happy thing experience. And so, yeah, why not continue to do that in the towns that we live in rather than like traveling to go do that? 
Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It took me a really long time to be okay with who I am. Like, pathetically long time. Like, yeah, I had one of the most public relationships ever, and... I was not comfortable with who I was. It wasn't wow. like, a, yeah. So I think it, in a way it made, it forced my mom to deal with it, you know, cause there was no avoiding it at all. Yeah. And, uh, and I think maybe that was maybe one of the silver linings of that situation. But uh, I'm like finally in a relationship. <laughs> like, I feel like, I'm not, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently and I'm not sure if I, I'm finally cool with who I am or if society finally is. So I'm not sure if it's, if it's my growth or if it's the world around me's growth that's made me accepting of who I am. Wow. I really hear you. And I want to be respectful around any boundaries that you have around talking about this, but I do feel like, especially for like younger listeners who might not know what you're talking about. I feel like there's a moment here to sort of like fill in the gaps um, in that what you're talking about is that you were in a relationship with Lindsay Lohan that was very front page news yes. um, uh, in like a paparazzi magazine um, pre-internet sort of a pre-Instagram pre-Instagram sure yes like a sort of a yeah, exactly like pre-social media sort pre-controlling of, our own narrative that's what I was trying to get to yes exactly like pre I'm sharing this information it was information that was shared about about you um, it was mind and and uh mind and I would say aggressively taken the information yeah, I mean that's let's call it fracking, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's certainly um yeah, that's certainly what it looked like. I, I think at the time also we're like just in the midst of this examination of the way that like young women especially were treated in the this like early two thousands era. The way Perez Hilton called me some man. He liked to capitalize the man in Samantha. And, uh, like he obviously had his own internalized homophobia because he was one of the most homophobic, I think of the bloggers, um, at the time. And those bloggers had so much power and he and I had a run in prior to my relationship with Lindsay. And so he had it out for me, like, and just went to town and 
I grew up in a world where you just kind of like rise above it, you know, when they go low, we go high, but it was before like, I, it's easy to go high now because you can then say whatever you want on social media and your point gets across. But if you just say nothing and turn the other cheek, everyone just believes whatever they're hearing. Right. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie American President with Michael Douglas and Annette Benning? I don't think I, I think have. It, no. I, th- I think it's Michael Douglas. I might be lying. Maybe it's Martin Sheen. I don't know. He's my president. But um, <laughs> but he, uh, there's a scene in it where like the president is being stoked and baited and baited by like the, I don't know, the guy running against him. And he finally says, like, people want to hear something. And if you don't say it, they're going to go to whatever this is. Basically, like, they want water. And if they don't have it, they'll go to the oasis. Do you know what I mean? They'll go to yes. whatever looks like it. So I was dumb enough to think that, like, the truth will shine through. And instead, I got fucking pummeled and, like, turned into, like, the Kato Kalen of DJs. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I actually, you know, I don't know what this was like for you. I mean, I'm super interested. Well, I guess, and I really appreciate you, first of all, pointing out, right, of course, it's not pre-internet. I think so. I think for me, I think so much about like social media is so synonymous now with like, <laughs> mm-hmm. with, um, with like just being, on being, you know, online or, or it's like, that's what it is that I think I've, I've for, like forgot about that very long period of time when, um, when blogs it was like ruled. traditional media and blogs and blogs were like written by t- like 20 people. They're just like weren't that many people that were doing that. No. And, um, and they had like a huge effect and, and it's really hard to sue for libel as I learned, because I then tried to sue for as Hilton for libel, <laughs> <laughs> like just really hard to sue for libel in general. Or, yes. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, yes, they're like, well, you're a public figure. I was like, I wasn't a public figure until you made me a public figure. Right. So it was, it's kind of a catch 22 situation. Is that how you, you, you felt that you weren't a public figure until that point? Because mm-hmm. like you were doing, you were, you were working as a DJ. I'd managed to, to go for, you know, at least 10 years under the radar, like DJing every party you never heard of because I was a, a trusted person that could DJ your event without ever leaking any details. So I did all the crazy high profile events. I just had NDAs. So like every party you never heard of, I did, you know, I was well known enough to get all the gigs I wanted. Yes. And just not well known enough to have just a normal everyday life. I wasn't, I wasn't the kind of DJ that was like, arriving at events and being like, Hey, let me go walk the red carpet. I was like, I don't want to do the red carpet. Let me just DJ. You can get pictures of me inside. I never, I was never trying to be famous. That was never a goal of mine. You know, but also I think maybe from the outside, I mean, I'm just, it played cool, right? Like that's the coolest DJ, the one who doesn't, that's the coolest. That's, that's cool. Like to, you know, to just like show up and do the, and do the job. I feel like maybe like a it girl, vibe was going on of like you know not necessarily known but by the like there like there's a coolness factor i had done to even know who you are yeah like i'd done calvin klein campaigns i'd done stuff like that i'd done like the cool girl modeling shit that's what i'm talking about cool there's like that that vibe was for sure there yes yes um and then overnight it's this other thing 
the overnight. Did it feel like it was? Other did, you, did it feel like it was overnight? It really was because I used to hang outside smoking cigarettes outside the clubs I would DJ, and I would see the same paparazzi guys there every night. You know, and we would shoot the shit, talk shit. We would like I'd make fun of them, and it was very. It was just whatever. They were this. It, it was like the valet guys, us, the door guys, the paparazzi guys, the whatever. Everybody would talk to each other. Right. The fucking same losers that never got into the club every night that were always there. <laughs> you know, you would talk to them too. <laughs> and like, yeah, you could, they'll talk to you. You can't come in, but you can be part of like this little <laughs> gang. And, uh, and then, it, and then I was laughing when they started taking my picture and I was like, you see the insanity in this, right? And they're like, yeah, but we have to take the picture. And I'm just like, but it's the same me as like last week. And they're like, yeah, we, we know. It's weird. They also knew I, I wasn't like the kind of person that was going to say something provocative to get airtime. So, you know, and I would kind of just wear the same thing all the time. So that way, is it Monday? Is it Friday? Is it Christmas? You know, like. Wow. To like to devalue the pictures. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on purpose necessarily. It was just, I wasn't going to, I wasn't changing me for any sort of bump in hits. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't grow up like that. Like my dad wrote some of the biggest songs of all time and could always walk down the street just fine. Like to me, success wasn't celebrity. Success was a career, a long career where you're respected for what you do. Is this still part of your life? Of the the like the paparazzi stuff yeah no like i can go to one of those like paparazzi restaurants and not be bothered do you know what i mean like they know that i'm not gonna say anything interesting you know i'm not gonna like give them the quote that they want and um and it's also like thank you next you know that whole thing that whole scene is so disposable yeah you know like as much as everything is you know Yes, nothing is really the lining of a birdcage anymore because it's all forever on the internet. Like, it's not like yesterday's news necessarily. It's still there. But, you know, the next, now it's just like reality. Like, fame for fame's sake is really kind of what it's all about now. Like, nobody's... That's right. Like, I mean, most of the people that when I do happen to, like, pass on Us Weekly at an airport, like, I'm like... like I don't know what they do. And if they do anything, it's probably nothing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like the thing that really blew my mind the most at the time was my brother was like winning Grammys and, you know, we'd be at dinner and they didn't ask him questions. They asked me and I was like, talk to him. He's doing interesting shit. <laughs> you know, he just produced Amy Winehouse's record. Like what is it? you, you want to know what I think about Paris Hilton's new shirt? I don't. Yeah. I don't think about it. So it's strange. Right. I mean, I, you know, I certainly see what you're talking about from the outside. You know, I, I, I validate that this did happen, uh, that, you know, you <laughs> like, like, I saw it too. It's not, you're not. Lying. Yeah. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think of like a bigger example that sort of falls exactly in this moment where we're transitioning, like from traditional print media to where we are now, which is like total democratization of, you know, media and like celebrity for celebrity's sake, you know, like Mm -hmm. that tradition, that huge transition from like, oh my God, like Cary Grant is granting us an interview to like, to like literally you're going to see 
like everybody's the, underwear. Yeah, you're gonna see like all the Kardashians news like first from them. You know, like the the at that massive transition. Yeah, you got to take control. I remember having conversations with friends at the time who were very, 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 very famous and very stalked and hunted. And we had talked about like we should start our own website where we put up the pictures ourselves. You know? Yeah. So basically we invented Instagram. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't see that money. <laughs> From translating that into... Motherfuckers! God forbid we didn't take an idea and actually execute it. Um, I will be filing my lawsuit against Instagram for theft of intellectual property. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know. You don't know who was sitting nearby. You know, how I'm first familiar with you is that, like, there are very few people who um, sort of cover the range of specifically queer pop culture, but then, like, women who love women in queer pop culture, lesbians, bi women, and, like, um, a like non-binary and trans-inclusive version of all of those things, but like lesbian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that you know, it's like you, <laughs> Gabrielle Corn has been <laughs> yeah. influential in that area. You know, Trish Bendix. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other people I know who even Melinda Lowe, like used to really work in that area um, in a different era in her life. Um, but I mean, it's weird that I, I guess not, it's not weird. It says something that I even know all these people's names. Cause it's like, why are they- it's just, it's just cause I was reading all of your stuff and I was curious about what you were watching. And it is, I mean, can you think of, am I missing, are there people I'm, and I don't mean like, I don't mean people, you know, obviously there are people like Roxanne Gay, who's like, you know, she's a queer person. She's like writing about her own experience, but I mean, specifically like covering pop culture for, you know, major media outlets. Um, yeah, no, I, from it- this angle. I, I can't think of too many others. Yeah, no, it's um, it's like uh, it shouldn't be so narrow, but I feel like there's only um, you know, and, and Trish Bendix is like she's she's kind of the goat in a lot of ways, you know, like she's um, she's the first person that ever published me, and um, oh, is that true? Yeah. Why have I not had Trish on Query? This is just a moment where I realize I need to get her on the show. Yeah, but yeah, no. Um, she's where did the- she publish you? On after Ellen before before yeah. the before it was usurped, but um, but uh, yeah, she you know I feel like I once I once I came out once I started following um you know more queer women um I was definitely like super intrigued by her and um there was a whole like world of like you know gay pop culture oh, Reese that I Bernard obviously mm, yeah and yeah, everybody. Oh my God, I can't, I'm so, that's humiliating, obviously. <laughs> Reese Bernard and everybody at Autostraddle, yeah. but um, yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, it, um, I, I actually, I don't have much of, um, much of a, <laughs> a full thought there. It, it is, um, it is weird. And I think that that's probably the reason that I've had any success is because like it, for some reason, um, you know, I think it's, there's two sides of it. It's like, not a lot of people were, besides Autostraddle and After Ellen before it was usurped and, you know, whatever. Like, there wasn't a lot of coverage in, like, um, Glamour and Cosmo and Elle and all the, like, women's magazines and whatever, which I, like, 
felt like I tried to use what I had learned at um, after Ellen or um, into and like these kind of like queer outlets that I was writing for and be like, these are things that like women in general are interested in and um, tried to write about them for like larger, um, you know, magazines. Um, but it, it does. I'm gonna, it, I was just gonna say, I'm going to push back on one thing that you said about this is why this is like the reason that you've had success is because the pool is small. And I'm going to say that, first of all, no, I disagree with that. I think um, being able to tell a publication that they are missing a queer angle on something mm. is that like, that's the skill, right? You yeah. know, and obviously that you're a great writer, but I just mean like, um, I don't think that the small pool means like that you will automatically rise to the top because it's not like these people, no, unless no. I'm totally wrong, it's not like they're coming to you and saying like, write the queer angle on this. Like you're like pitching them. Like, yeah. There's a queer angle here that you're missing, right? No, that's, totally. And that's wild, you know, to think about um, one person making that, like having that level of influence, you know, like that glamour would just not have these stories in them were it not for you pitching them, like, here's the queer angle on this, or or I'm a queer writer and I'm going to write, you know, about Taylor Swift, but like, I'm, it's going to, it's going to have my gaze and I'm, <laughs> my gaze is gay. My gaze, yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, and, and I think it goes, you know, both ways where once I, you know, once that like channel was open, it was like I was communicating with, you know, my editors would bring me stuff and be like, is there something gay that you wanted to write about this? And I would be like, absolutely. But yeah, and, and you know, I didn't mean to, to say like that there is a small pool because I think it's like, this like myth of um of the demand for queer content being small or you know whatever that is just like not true and i think that um i am definitely not the only person by any means writing about these things or nor nor even close to the first but there is um y- you know i think that i think that if anything, it just proved that there is a demand and there should be more of it and that we should let more people write about these things and let more people be yes. funny about it, you know? I agree. I was actually just giving you more credit. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying <laughs> to give you. you more credit than, than you were giving yeah. yourself. No, it's like a hard question because I'm like, it, it feels like a, like a why me? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I mean, but there are also people listening who might like, maybe they'd love to, to figure out how to do this. And I, I just think that, Something that that is interesting to me about, like another thing, you know, as we were, as I was reading your your book, I was like, it does just suck that um, the stuff that the things that are like my cultural t- touchstones um, are not. By the way, I also love being part of a niche <laughs> a community with niche cultural t- touchstones. Oh, absolutely! But it's also. But it's also, you know, so there's like pride in that. And like, I think it's cool. But then it's also wild to read, you know, just the name dropping sections around um, like movies that you love, for instance, and just realizing that like most people in my life probably haven't seen these movies. So I wanted to talk yeah. to you about about movies for a second, because there's like very few people in my life <laughs> that I can talk to about <laughs> lesbian movies. Yeah. But you. Let's do it. <laughs> um, all right. Your favorite. Favorite lesbian movie. Yes. Um, I think Imagine Me and You uh, is, is, is up there because I think it's, it's such a... I, I have the biggest soft spot ever for 2000s specific... The 2000s specific tone and take on 
like a romantic movie or a romantic comedy. Um, and there were so few um, queer movies in that era. And Imagine Me and You is like essentially your classic Jennifer Aniston, like, oops, I fell in love um, movie. And it's gay and it's hot and it's so cute. <laughs> and it, it's just great. And also Lena Headey, amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, very dreamy. Yeah. Question about it though. Mm. How, why <laughs> did it have to have you're a wanker number nine <laughs> enter the canon as the like most romantic end line that could be yelled across traffic. I, um, I, I can't understand it. <laughs> can, I, wh- that doesn't hold up. And, and not only does it not hold up, it it shouldn't have even been in there to begin with. So it's that's a tough yeah. part of Imagine Me and You. Yeah, no, it is. And what's really funny is literally two days ago, I was on a Zoom call and my girlfriend was watching it in the other room. I don't know like what inspired her, but she just suddenly put it on. And the cadence of that sentence, like I didn't hear anything until the loud Euro Anchor Number Nine came on. And it was like just the cadence that they say it in is so recognizable that I felt like I like my head shot towards the television. I was like, what? Imagine oh me and you God. is on. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, mistakes have been made in almost every um, lesbian movie. This maybe right. has um, fewer than most um, okay. and is fun. That's yeah. Okay, so that's your favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexiest. Can you give me a sexiest? Hmm. Sexiest. I fucking love disobedience. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Or, um, no, oh, okay, wait, never mind. The favorite. I think the favorite is like so sexy. You would say that's sexiest? I think it is I so sexy. I need to sexy. rewatch the favorite. I feel like there's, there's like, there's certain like lines or moments that are just so powerful to me. Like, okay. Rachel Weisz, like, pinning Olivia Coleman by the throat against the bedpost, hot. Um, there's that moment where um, Olivia Coleman says, uh, because she's like, because I like how it feels when her tongue is inside of me and is, like, yelling at somebody. And it's just so, like, uh, 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 Right, know? right, right. Okay. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it in a minute. You're right. You're yeah. right. That's all in there. You're totally right. That's in there. Yeah. But can I ask you a question yes. in terms of, in terms of televised moments where somebody's throat is being pressed <laughs> against a wall, the more recent one in Dickinson yeah. would be my preference. You know, I actually haven't seen the third season yet, which is insane. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> I know. It's Jill, cr- this is, what are we doing here? I don't know. It's a crime. It is a crime. Um, it's because I do that thing where I subscribe and unsubscribe to Apple TV, like, all the time. Um, right. And it's, I haven't, um, I haven't signed up for it again, but uh, I, I also will say like, I feel like this is not a popular opinion, but I thought Ammonite was hot. Like they give you nothing oh, it's hot. because there's, no, it's hot. yeah, no, it's like they, they give you, they give you really hot moments and then they cut straight to coal, you know, like coal burning or like mud yeah. sloshing. Like they, they, I think visually they were like, we want to communicate that after this great thing happens, shame, you know, which it works. But um, I thought Ammonite was very hot. The face sitting was, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rewatch that right after this call. Yeah. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pull that right up. Um, okay, funniest. Um, what do you think is the funniest lesbian movie? 
I'm a big, like, um, Lisa Cholodenko gal. Like, I, I really like The Kids Are All Right. That one really makes me laugh. And, um, like, I love a dramedy. Um, but also, um, But I'm a Cheerleader, I feel like, is very, very LOL. Debs is very funny. Oh, Debs is so funny. And I'm, I feel like I'm, I am not being paid, but I'm constantly promoting Debs to people. Like, it's like one that flies <laughs> under the radar somehow. A little bit more. Who would be paying you for that in 2022? <laughs> That's what I want to know, is what retainer you're on. I, ha- I don't, I don't know. Um, what's the, the director's name? Angela uh, Robinson? Yep. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's got a fund. And she's yeah, just she's, she's out there siphoning me a few dollars every few just, months, <laughs> every few years. Um, okay, well, that that was. Uh, Wait, what's your funniest? Oh, I think it's well. I recently rewatched Debs, and I thought that was hilarious. Debs, right. But um, in the day, the first time I watched it, I loved um, kissing Jessica Stein <gasps> because it is it's it's the cuts. There are great cuts in that movie. Like yeah. there are, it's it's very dry. Mm. It's very funny. It's a very very funny movie. I'm actually um, mad at myself for forgetting about that because that's usually when people ask what's your favorite lesbian movie, it's like Imagine Me and You kissing Jessica Stein. Like yeah. those are like, and the kids are all right. Like those are like my top three in general. I think that it's yeah. like an amazing '90s movie that has been like passed over too many times. Um, you know, yeah. there's like some problematic stuff at the end where it's basically like you're not really gay um but uh yeah the like there's just like no, like tonally there's just like nothing like it they're in, so funny yeah it's just such a funny it's such a, such a funny yeah. movie and um, hot it is hot yeah yeah and there's this that really sweet moment um on the porch um mm-hmm. with uh jessica and her mom yeah that was like love it i like really needed to watch it because i was having a hard time with my parents at the time. But my favorite uh, all around mm. um, lesbian movie is Saving Face. I love that movie. I think it's like, yeah. it just is, it's like got everything. All of the the whole cast is amazing. Like it's got a great B storyline. Um, it's just a great movie. Yeah. Also just like aesthetically, like it's just like, it's it looks great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what is also cool is that I, I like, know Alice Wu now. I've gotten to tell her that that's, like, my favorite lesbian movie. Hell yeah. Incredible. That's awesome. Incredible. <laughs> can, can you believe? I cannot. What happened to this young Tammy? No. Who was watching that movie 20 years later. She gets to tell the director to her face. This is the best. It's my favorite. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, I, uh, oh, and I'm also, like, a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I love Carol. Which is why yeah. I, which is why I had to be directly addressed by the producers. Yeah, regarding <laughs> my preferences. Upon it. I feel like Carol of all of the movies that I have just mentioned, even is like the the lesbian movie I've seen the most. Like it's one right. that I will put on in the background just for just for a good vibe. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. 